3: Hello and welcome to the Wisden Cricket Weekly Podcast. Before we start the show, how does the offer of free beer sound to you? As a loyal listener of the show, we'd like to reward you with just that, free beer. Thanks to our friends at Beer52, the UK's most popular craft beer discovery club, you have the opportunity to sip eight free exclusive craft beers from all around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash and cover the £4.95 postage fee and the beers will be delivered straight to your doorstep. As well as the beers, you get a magazine and a snack as part of the deal. They send subscribers a crate of beer each month, and there's a different theme for the beers each month. You're able to pause or cancel the subscription at any time. I'm Azrana, and with me today is the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner. Hello, Ben. How's it going? And do you have your Beers?
0: Yeah, I actually had a nice one last night. It was, uh, like, cocoa flavoured, I think, with a little bit of orange in there, like a brown... brown ale that was very tasty i think it was yeasty boys so thank you to them <laughs> uh uh but yeah no, that, that that was very good I've, if loyal very loyal listeners of the, of the show <laughs> will know that uh, i've had a sort of up and down thing with beer if not not because of the, the quality of the beers or anything but just because they were being delivered to my parents house and my mum was sort of trading them for eggs somehow and i've now <laughs> figured out actually how she has been doing that which is that people were going out and shopping for her because she was essentially shielding uh, and uh, they wouldn't accept any money because it was like her friends and it sort of becomes an awkward sort of like, oh, I, can't, I can't possibly pay you. I can not possibly accept. So she's been just giving them my beer.
3: That's, that's not normally how we'd recommend people to consume and use the, the BBC beers, but there you go, that's when one way of doing it. Um, anyway, the, the countdown to the first test of the summer continues. We're now just three and a half weeks away from the first test at the Aegeus Bowl. West Indies have arrived in the UK. Uh, The Sri Lanka home series against India has been postponed. That was due to start in in June. And given the coronavirus situation in Sri Lanka, there was a possibility that 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 might actually have gone ahead. Um, Elsewhere, the ICC have announced that there's no news yet regarding the postponement of the men's T20 World Cup in Australia and the women's 50 over World Cup in New Zealand in early 2021. But they have formally announced a raft of temporary COVID-19 regulation changes. This includes the banning of the use of saliva on the ball. If a team is caught doing this twice in an innings, they'll be given a five-run penalty. Non-neutral umpires are allowed again, and teams will have one extra DRS review per innings. And then finally, perhaps most interestingly, because I think we knew the rest anyway, test kits are allowed to have big sponsorship logos on the front like they do in white ball cricket. Ben, what do you, what do you think about that? You made the point that this is actually a bigger deal than allowing... Uh, names and numbers on the back of a shirt.
0: Yeah, I do think that it'll have a a bigger aesthetic difference. I can't. I mean, I didn't mind at all about names numbers and numbers on shirts. I quite quite like it. I think. Um, uh, so I don't have a huge. I'm not. I don't feel negatively about this. But I'm surprised there hasn't been more people speaking out against it. And especially because, while at the moment this is a temporary measure, presumably to get a few more quid out of sponsors in a difficult time for boards financially, that you know, once you open up a revenue stream like that, it can be a much tougher thing to close it. So I sort of would be, I'd almost be surprised if it was temporary, if it didn't last forevermore.
3: Do you think that uh, the lack of outrage compared to the the mass outrage of the names and numbers is, is partly due to people not quite understanding the rule change?
0: Yeah. yeah I, no, I, de-
3: I definitely wasn't that clear about what it, what it meant.
0: The names and numbers is, is a lot easier to say than. That's two-inch wear logo, or whatever it is. Um, uh, but I, yeah, I also think that maybe now is sort of a it possibly an unfashionable time to sort of criticise something like that, and and perhaps people. I mean, in in a way, the names and numbers thing could be seen as a more frivolous change in that it doesn't instantly bring in more revenue in the way that having an extra sponsorship outlet does. People don't tend to be that sort of magnanimous when talking about board's finances. They sort of think they should do whatever without the uh financial consequences but um but yeah i think i think that r- right now especially it would be a an odd time to sort of criticize boards for trying to earn a bit more money because of the issue side. So ha- perhaps that's why and also people just kind of have bigger bigger fish to fry. you know there's uh, so much going on all over the world but mm. but this, like this time last year if that had been introduced maybe people would have been more incentive but now uh yeah, even if they tried to introduce maybe they could change the colour of kits now, they could do something really radical, and they could just let sort of flip it through.
3: Mm. Well, you, you allude to more important events happening elsewhere in the world. Um, yeah. Obviously, the news cycle over the last two weeks has been dominated by the reaction worldwide to the death of George Floyd. It's prompted introspection across different industries and the world of sport in particular. Now, Ben and I, we're not, we're not really in a position to offer you much here, but we both wholeheartedly recommend you listening to the Cricket Badger podcast episode with former England opening batsman Michael Carberry. I'll just read something that Carberry said on that show. To be honest, I think cricket is rife with racism. The issue you have in cricket is that the people running the game don't care about the black people in it. It's as simple as that. Black people are not important to the structure of English cricket. If you look around English cricket at the moment in the important areas of the game where the important decisions are made, name one black man that is in that important position. We're talking about the Andrew Strauss role or the Ashley Giles role. Which black man has ever had the opportunity to make the big decisions in English cricket? Not one. He goes on to talk about an incident where he confronted a coach who made a series of discriminatory remarks, among other things. Ben, this isn't just a talking point in England this week, but also in Indian cricket too, with Darren and Sammy talking about some of his experiences playing in the IPL. Uh,
0: yes. And the, again, the Sammy thing, there, there are complexities in some centres. There's also, there's obviously a pretty clear uh, Darren Sammy has been wronged in this instance so I'll try and give a brief overview of mind that this is stuff that I all learnt about a few days ago as well so and including all the, the, the background of what the word means so Darren Samuel was being called uh, a particular word by his Indian teammates it sounds like, or we now know um, uh, he sort of asked what does this word mean it sounds like they told him that it meant uh, strong stallion he then started referring to himself by the word. Uh, and it was sort of like a maybe a slightly in joke. They were also saying this to Tasara Pereira, who's a Sri Lankan all-rounder. Uh, this is at Sunrisers Hyderabad in 2014. Uh, and he's just found out in the past few days from watching a, a video by a Netflix comedian, I think an American Indian comedian, I think I'm right in saying, um, uh, that said that the word is basically a, a, a racial slur in effect used to refer to people with uh darker colored skin in particular it's so not just black people but people from uh from Sri Lanka uh yeah and it's it's heartbreaking really for me for Darren Tammy because you can just imagine like you're, you're with these people who are your teammates and your friends basically and you think you're sharing a joke with them and then you find out years later that actually they were basically laughing behind your I think it's prompted, or hopefully will prompt, a bit of soul searching sort of within Indian cricket circles, maybe even more generally about the issue of colourism, I guess, as well as racism, because as I say, it's something that is used to refer to people with darker skin. Um, and just the other two important bits of information is that there was an Instagram post from Ishant Sharma that contained the word. So, I mean, there's, there's no question that not there should ever be, in any case, but about Darren Sammy's sort of legitimacy in saying that, in saying in saying what he's saying. Um, but sort also obviously sounds like it was a team-wide culture thing rather than a one individual thing.
3: Hmm. Um, da- there's, there's a brilliant interview, exclusive interview on wisdom.com with Darren, Sav- Sammy, with Tar Hashim as well. Sammy's been one of the most outspoken people in the last couple of weeks. He's been calling on boards to take more action, etc. So yeah, I'd, I'd really recommend both listening to that podcast episode, but also reading Tar Hashing's article on wisdom.com. On today's show, we've got two very different interviews for you. First up, this is one of the most fun interviews I think we've ever done on the show. Ben and I spoke to Rob Moody, the man behind the iconic Rob Linder 2 YouTube and Twitter accounts, that's responsible for, for an enormous online library of cricketing moments from years gone by, from great catches to wacky outtake videos to incredible run-out compilations. Ben, you, you enjoyed it
0: yeah it is amazing yeah i mean you can tell that he just obviously uh just absolutely loves cricket but it's almost like the most natural thing to for him to be doing all these things like he doesn't almost realize or not realize but he just plays off so lightly that it's like a public service basically that he's doing that is enriching so many people's lives being like oh yeah i just kind of do it like and i sort of wonder why i'm doing it but i am and i don't make any money but it's it's pretty fun and it's <laughs> and literally millions of people thankful for it. So yeah, it was, it was great. And also just, uh, uh, I, th- I thought, to be honest, the, the bit I enjoyed most which I wasn't expecting was his description of Brian Lara, which you'll hear, but it's just, he, he describes the emotion of watching a big, a truly mammoth innings unfold in a quite interesting way and the way that you uh, sort of made me think more about that aspect of cricket.
3: Yeah, it's, it's re- really, really excellent. He's just very casual about the fact he's got over 700 million youth <laughs> under the count yeah. And uh, I think people may be quick to say, oh, he doesn't own the content, which is true. He d- but he also doesn't make a penny from it. But he, he gets stuff out there that no one's really remembered or heard of. It's really neat stuff. Anyway, he was great fun, so I hope you enjoy that interview as much as we did. Rob, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Just in case, if somehow, if listeners aren't aware of your work, you have a YouTube channel with 700,000 subscribers that post footage recruiting matches from all over the world from the past. Um, first up, why do you do it?
2: Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I've ever known. <laughs> I, it's bizarre that it's even gone on for this long. I mean, when I uploaded the first video back in 2009 or something, you couldn't predict that 2020 would even exist, let alone the channel would still be going. You know, a decade and a bit later but it has. So I'll just keep going until it gets shut down. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't make a penny from
3: this as well. So this is pure altruism.
2: Yeah, no, no profit whatsoever. Um, it's not possible anyway, but uh, yeah, no, no money made from it. There's uh, far more moral ways to make money than uh, <laughs> videos on, on YouTube with footage I don't own.
0: <laughs> I think. Uh, firstly this is almost one of the most excited I've been to to interview someone like more than a lot of pro cricketers it's like I thought it's almost I mean what got or at least kept a lot of us I think interested in cricket to an extent I mean through our teenage years when you know you don't have a sky subscription it is like a, a really valuable way and I think that uh what what is tough to get across is just the the sort of how small or not not small but like how niche a lot of the Videos are, you know, like it's uh, it's it's videos. What was the one from the county game the other day? The from the one that Vish posted In, a
3: England versus Kent. There was was one like I didn't, well, I, a, <laughs> I didn't even know that game existed. And you you're posting. It was a remarkable uh, to me. Video actually, it was you had a one-handed national team stunner. Uh, Ed Smith was a batsman. Andrew Simons was playing that game as well. And then Rob Key got out for uh, for a fifty-two ball eleven. <laughs> And got berated off the deal, basically, by Bob Willis on, on, uh, on commentary. All, all, in, all in two minutes.
0: And there, there was also, uh, I think, the Tugan writes for the Independent, uh, said that he could remember, I think he called it a Hall of Fame left arm wrist in a googly, bowled by a part-timer in like a, the precursor of the One Day Cup in England, so like, the county game. And you, you've chimed in, in about half an hour saying, like, I actually have that footage. No. And
2: I didn't even know. I mean, people ask me for stuff and I'm thinking, I can't do that. you nuts. <laughs> like, why would I have this random delivery from a county match? I'm in Australia. How would I even have that footage? And so I had to search the archive and I'm like, huh, oh, I think I might have that. And then I look at it. I'm like, I don't even know how I got it. Don't know when I got it, but I got it. So yeah, it's a, uh, I don't even know half the stuff I've got because you just tape everything whenever it comes on for the last 30-something years. You haven't watched every ball of everything and uh, you don't remember every ball of every match. So it's actually really fun when people out there on social media, they've got their own little memories, you know, from all these matches. and That's what's really cool, that people do remember different things when they watch the same match, you know. And uh, so... Yeah, it's really fun to go and find the footage and it's even exciting for me if I've got it. I impress myself. And then it's, yeah, great to chuck it up for everyone to see because, you know, highlights on the internet are generally just the same old stuff, you know, and heaps of the cool little things that people, you know, recall from 20 years ago, then they didn't make it into the highlights of that test or one day it'll be something random that you only will see if you watch the full game and if you taped it that's the only way that it would be able to be seen 20 years later so that's what's really cool it just just makes me happy that I took the time and effort to record the full matches when I could rather than just the 20 minute highlights which you miss out so so many niche little cool things which is predominantly what I've uploaded over the years so how, um, how much
3: have you recorded?
2: <laughs> I guess it's a lot, but it's a lot. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, uh, um, uh, there's a lot, you know. Of, <laughs> I mean, everyone, everyone knows the numbers. I mean, I've said them over the years. I mean, I've got about 30,000 DVDs. It's about 120 terabytes of footage, probably more. I, don't know. I haven't actually counted up all, all the hard drives because they just, they just increase. All the time. And then I've got a few hundred tapes still from the 80s or, or 90s. Um, but yeah, it keeps growing.
0: There's, there's a, a Twitter interaction that I saw you have today that I think maybe sums up possibly a, a certain aspect. So you, uh, you tweeted, spent the last few days watching Brian Lara's Not out ball by ball. Time well spent. Oh, Love my archive. Then the heart eyes emoji. Someone replied saying like, "lust for punishment. One of the, one of the most boring innings ever. A dreadful game of cricket. when you, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it wasn't exciting for most of it. I mean, when you're watching any innings, I mean, we've all watched an innings that gets to a hundred to two hundred, but then it there's a certain point in that innings because not every innings gets to two hundred even. So. When something gets to about 220, 230 and it's still got lots of time left, at some point your mind goes to it, the commentators go to it. You could cook it to 300 today. <laughs> so there's a certain point in the commentary and everything that it's like, you might get to 400. And when on earth do you think about that when you're watching cricket? So that's what was really cool when the discussion in the commentary and the whole vibe of the match, the match was secondary, all of a sudden it's like, I think some, you know, the guy's gonna bat and try and get to four hundred. And that's just never a situation in the game that you ever come across. <laughs> um, and that's really cool. You know, I mean we've seen, you know, guys like Mark Taylor get three three four and Clark get the big three two nine, Warner got the three three five. They all could have gone on to four hundred. They just declared early to make a game of it. I mean Mark Taylor could have batted for seven days on that Pitch uh, in '98. Um, so yeah, it was interesting just to 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 witness the build-up to you know breaking the the Hayden 380, and then it's like once it got to that point, it's like all right, if you've got the 360, you're going to the 400 if you can. <laughs> Wild earth, which is stopped then. So yeah, the bars around the ground, the excitement. So while in the end, the innings was say useless, but you know, drawn match, flat Antigua wicket as always. Um. Yeah, and it's not like everyone around the place is watching Lara's innings in full all these years later. So, I thought, what a cool thing to do, you know, to watch the whole thing from the start what, to finish. So,
3: yeah. what scares me a little bit is just the thought of how much cricket you've watched and how much time you spent watching it. So, the other day we tweeted out something on Anthony McGrath keeping wicket for England at Lords, and someone replied yeah. tagging you, saying, "Oh, Rob Belinda, too. Have you got the footage of this," and you replied quite quickly saying yeah yeah um Stuart was off the field got hit on the head by a Giles delivery so like how how many like whole (laughs) days of cricket have you just watched that haven't uh led you to posting anything um and and also like what did your family think about all this well
2: uh I don't know it's all surreal for me I mean for me I don't even think about it I mean it's you know i do have a life (laughs) people just assume i'm some crazy cricket guy but it just comes across like that uh my family uh well i mean my kids are 13 and 11 i mean they've basically grown up with youtube you know um and they've all got their own little channels you know but kids always do you know posting up dumb stuff If, if it's not to youtube it's to tiktok or something and uh so yes, so I, I I'm the only one of the dads of of all the my kids' friends that actually has a, a, a channel that gets views. So you know they they all think that my son's lying. He says, "Oh my my dad's got seven hundred million views," and they're like, "No, he doesn't," because <laughs> you know kids lie and brag about stuff and exaggerate at school. <laughs> so that that's pretty funny that uh, you know. Uh, yeah, No one says anything about any other aspect of our life. It's just the fact that I've got this YouTube channel. So, yeah, for me, it's just weird because I don't even think about it.
0: When Jan when, when said, this is scary, it reminds me that what, what scares me sometimes is just the thought of all of this being lost, basically. Not in terms of, presumably, you keep the archive safe, but in terms of uh, how, I guess, the, the boards who technically own these rights, even though they don't do don't anything, feel... Uh, feel about it and am i right in thinking that at the start of lockdown when the ic launched their the vault that it sort of came pretty close kind of all all crashing down then what's i guess what's the closest it's come and how how secure do you feel it is kind of right now
2: oh it's it's literally teetering on the edge of complete obliteration all the time (laughs) it uh, it's a miracle it's still it's still up you know i mean i've tried really hard to stay within the guidelines of, you know, whoever knows even what they are, but uh, the goalposts keep moving as they say, you know, where one day I think I'm safe to upload something next thing you. know, no, 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 you can't do that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's frustrating, but uh, it's always come close to being terminated. I mean, whenever I've got two copyright strikes, then I'm I'm only one away. And anyone that's had a YouTube channel for any length of time when you get those copyright strikes you just think oh well it's gone now anyone can can uh, have their channel taken down so yeah i mean i early on it annoyed me and i thought oh man that's really disappointing but now it's completely inevitable (laughs) death taxes and the end of my channel it's gonna happen at some point (laughs) Um, so all i can do is keep clearing out the videos that whatever copyright holder says are infringing and just keep it up as, as long as I can. But you know, it's easy to download someone's channel now. So I've done it about 10 times. So um, it's not like it'll actually be lost. What will be lost is the continuous, you know, uploads of random stuff that are, that I've still got sitting there. There's yet to upload. I mean, I've I've got a folder, which is about, I don't know, uh, probably about two or three terabytes of just random small things that I've just found over the years. They all just go in this folder and I just put them up, you know, over the last 10 years. When, when, whenever I find something cool and a match or an interesting thing, I check in the folder and then when I feel like uploading something, I just pick something random and throw it up. So there's so much there that, that still people haven't seen. It's, it's thousands of videos still. Um, so they just have to keep uh, being a good boy. And uh, not uploading anything bad, I've, otherwise I've, Mr. ICC gets angry. <laughs> have,
3: other than copyright strikes, have they ever got in touch, or Cricket Australia ever just ever directly got in touch with you?
2: Yeah, yeah I've had uh, I've had pretty awesome communication over the years um, with uh, you know various boards. Uh, there's always someone that gets in touch. Um, And uh, it's still a bit of a gray area exactly who owns the rights to any footage. I mean, uh, uh, but you know, the ICC obviously have a clear ownership of any ICC events, and that's been made very clear to me. (laughs) And that's fine. I mean, you know, if I have to steer clear of ICC events, that's fine. I've got enough footage that I don't need to go. Searching uh, that stuff, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's frustrating that you know rights change too. The ownership changes over the years. You know, I mean, who who whoever owned nineteen eighty five ashes? Do they still own it now? Does BBC own it? Does Sky own it? Does the ECB own it? Does the ICC own it? I have no idea. So it just it seems to change all the time. Same for cricket in Australia in the eighties. I, I assuming Cricket Australia own it all, but they didn't back then. It's confusing, but yeah, I'm not really sure.
0: Is, is there much that you are there ever requests you get that you think no, I can't sort of can't be bothered with that one, or would you do you try and fulfil all of them?
2: I reckon every day. I would say I would love to, you know, uh, but yeah, some uploads are just an, absolute suicide mission. I think I replied to someone the other day. I think I, would, I might as well waterboard myself and then upload some IBLs some on my YouTube channel. It would just be <laughs> complete suicide. Absolute suicide.
3: Um, <laughs> o- obviously, the actual archive is brilliant, but I'm a massive fan of the titles of some of the videos. Yeah. So got a few, few, few of the best ones here. So India, <laughs> I mean, some, some of the polite ones, I'll say as well. Uh, oh. 23 funniest the man run out Prepare to laugh Your arse off How not to play Extreme face bowling Poor England suffer again 152.4 <laughs> reasons To shit yourself Brett Lee's Lightning warning To swear back there Does a lot of time Go into these titles Or is the first Thing that comes to your
2: head uh, No Well what's funny Is People give me Credit for all These titles But uh, It's been an evolution over time there there's been a lot of youtube cricket channels being taken down since i started there was a couple really early on around 2011 there was one guy in particular that just had the most awesome video titles i can't remember what they were or who he was but at the time i'm like oh what a great title for a video like completely taking the piss and i thought that'd be really cool so i started doing it for a few, and that was the moment that the channel, the videos started going nuts. Videos that had like 20 views, I just made up some funny title, really just to have fun. Next thing you know, it's got two million views the next week, and I thought, well, that worked. How far can I push that? <laughs> <laughs> and people would make comments, going, "Oh, you know, this video you've got, change it to this." So people would send me messages all the time with titles that they want to see on the video so i didn't even come up with half of them. but yeah it was yeah have fun play with fire a bit
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, I've, I've just seen the campaigns sort of growing to get you uh to somehow put you forward for, for an order of australia is that right uh is that is that something you, you can see happening or do you think that's uh people getting a bit ahead of themselves
2: uh yes <laughs> definitely people are getting ahead of themselves well that sort of thing has been going on for years it always happens at some point in the year um i i got a fake one from the uh, Batuda advocate and everyone thought it was real <laughs> uh and the actual uh uh press thing they put out looks completely legit <laughs> it's completely it's just a send-up and yeah, I posted it to Facebook and all my physical real friends were all just like, congratulations, that's amazing, and all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, what? Are you, are you stupid? <laughs> like, it's, it's fake. Do you know what this site is? It's a satirical site. It's just funny. So, yeah, people, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's I cannot see a <laughs> any situation where that would actually eventuate. It would probably uh, lessen <laughs> the uh, yeah the appeal of the uh, Order of Australia and its standing as a actual title. <laughs> Are you aware of um,
3: the influence you've had on other people in the YouTube cricket community? So the, the emergence of uh, Desi Robelinda, who basically does what you do but for Indian videos.
2: Yeah, of course. He, he he's a mate. We've been. Uh, friends for a few years um uh and uh that's yeah, uh, i he asked me if, if he could do it you know in the end he said oh can i change my twitter handle to this and i said yeah go for it you know there's uh, no problem there but uh yeah it's uh, that's pretty funny and yeah fluttering
3: yes yeah, so it's like, it's the start of a new brand the the robber linda <laughs> brand, national cricket brand um recently you 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 gained uh or you you, you created a bit of a, a a twitter storm so you posted an amazing video of all the 104 outs steve Waugh was involved in throughout his uh 19 year long international career
2: um and that and that that started something do you, want to, do you want to explain that yeah well that was just that was just something that you can't predict you know i mean uh Well, it started when Cricket Info posted uh, the tweet that showed he was involved in the most run-outs in cricket history, which I instantly was triggered because I love Steve Waugh. And I thought, are you kidding? Like, someone's made this up. Uh, It's got to be Inzimam, surely. Surely, it has to be. (laughs) Um, And I argued for a bit and I thought the only way we're going to know is if someone puts up a video of all the right And even as I was thinking those words, <laughs> I'm like, yes, yeah, someone, I thought, yeah, it's going to be me. <laughs> and I thought, I just need to, if I had that video, that would be really awesome. Cause I was pretty sure he wasn't uh, responsible for running out 73 of his partners. Cause the stat in itself was not the full story. Um, and the few that I thought of in my head were ones where Steve Wall was at the, the non strikers end and the batsman called for a single and he got run out. It was his own terrible call and I thought, I wonder how many of those there are. So I started to do a few and yeah, just went down that rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I, I got about halfway and I thought, Oh, this is pretty cool. Like what a cool video to put out there, you know, that's definitely not something you see very often. And I thought, I'll I'll just go all the way and get as many as I could. I I didn't quite get them all because there's some footage which is just impossible to get. Um, Like Australia's tour of India in 1986 or 7. It's just impossible. But I got most of them. So 95% of them. But the intention was to show that he wasn't the culprit for the run-outs. So little did I know. A certain king of spin was waiting <laughs> at home, drinking his uh, own brand gin. And he got on us, and then it just went nuts. And then, yeah, everyone thought I was this massive Steve War hater, and I still can't shake the tag. <laughs> mm. <laughs> People think I really hate him. <laughs> mm. And I've got this vendetta against him. It's, it's like, what? And then, yeah, all the news agencies picked up on it so i had like a 24 hours of fame thing but uh, that was just crazy but uh, still no one actually or not some people looked at the video and actually went to each run out and saw how many he actually wasn't responsible for and it turned out that i was right the video did justify my initial thoughts that he wasn't responsible for burning all his teammates like everyone initially thought and just
3: finally what do you do when you're not Uh, putting all of cricket's history onto YouTube
2: Um, well I'm sitting in my guitar studio right now Um, and that's what I uh, mostly do play guitar and teach guitar Um, and uh, travel the world on cruise ships with my band so that sucks but um, yeah that's what I actually do most of the time is play guitar and uh, teach it and play it around Australia and around the the world on ships, which is tons of fun.
3: Awesome. Um, Well, thanks Rob. Thanks so much for joining us. I mean this sincerely, I think you do a public service for all cricket fans. Genuinely, this is stuff that no one would ever see if you didn't put it up there and maintain the channel. It has been fantastic and particularly during lockdown. Thanks so much.
2: It is my absolute pleasure. I'm glad everyone enjoyed it. Cheers
3: Rob. other interview today is with Scotland's Callum MacLeod. Two years ago this week, Scotland beat England in an ODI in Edinburgh for the first time in their history. It remains England's only series loss, if you can call it a series, in the last three years. And while it wasn't quite a 100% full-strength England side, it did contain eight future World Cup winners. MacLeod was one of many Scotland stars that day, scoring a quite brilliant 140. Um, but Ben, obviously the win was amazing, but the context and timing of that win... Made it all the more memorable and significant for Scotland. Uh,
0: yeah, it did. So I, about what four months after they had been knocked out of the of the World Cup qualifier in pretty heartbreaking fashion. So uh, you'll have the stats exactly, but I think they were they one hundred and four, one hundred and five for four when against West Indies chasing about two hundred, I think. Yeah. When uh, their Richie Berrington was given out LBW. And it was not, not a good decision, essentially. And there was no DRS in use for the qualifiers. It's sort of unusually for otherwise ODIs and ICs and bent. Uh, And then, uh, what, 15 runs later, so it was 120 for five, uh, the rain starts falling, okay, but DLS ruled that uh, West Indies were ahead. Um, by five runs, Scotland were eliminated. Had they won that game, they would have qualified for the World Cup either West Indies or Afghanistan would have been knocked out, I think actually more likely Afghanistan, five runs and a sort a, a of a umpiring decision of, of doing that. And uh, the, so the, the thing for me with, with this, so it was four, four months later and that as a team with fewer resources, these kind of sort of shots don't come around very often. And when they do, so Scotland have something of a golden generation, I think you'd pay the players and they obviously planned really well. They sort of set the whole size and going to that game, in the West, West Indies you would still be backing. West Indies almost kind of no matter how good Scotland are and to to sort of to grab that chance so like wholeheartedly and play about as well as they could have and come so close and for it still not to be quite enough and it not really to be your fault and then four months later you get to play the best ODI team in the world uh, also happen to be your kind of oldest rivals across all sports and you uh, you manage to channel that kind of anger and frustration into just basically the perfect performance uh, and just just an usly kind of joyous occasion basically like everyone who was there I wasn't unfortunate but just speaks of it as being basically just the the most fun game of cricket they've basically ever been at um yeah it was it was it was an inc- I remember the other thing for me is that the bowling performance often gets lost so obviously Colin yeah. McLeod's innings was, was brilliant but I remember talking to regular guests of this show Phil Walker at the halfway stage and our kind of assessment was well that was fun but England are still going to win this <laughs> and uh and, yeah, you know, they just held their nerve absolutely brilliantly, yeah.
3: It's one of my favourite ever cricket matches, genuinely in the same bracket as England's World Cup final win. Partly mm. because, I guess, they don't show the highlights as, as often, so it's, it still feels quite new when you watch it. But I remember I was playing a game myself at day four, a Scottish team, and no one was really interested in our own game. And I think we had a run chase that was going pretty badly. But, but reasonably close, but no one, no one cared. Everyone was huddled around an iPad watching the closing stages and everyone, including all the English people, went crazy when the game won. They were so, so happy. And it also, also um, provides what, one, of, one of my favourite cricket stats, which is that the Scotland cricket team beat England as many times in the 2010s decade as the football and rugby team combined, which uh, yeah. I think is very good. Um, anyway, here is that interview with McLeod. It's now it's now two years on from that win over England. What what are your main memories from that day? Not just beating the world number one ranked side, but beating the old enemy.
1: The memory that sticks with me the most, and the memory that when I see it still gives me it was replayed a little bit yesterday because obviously it was two years exactly. Um, is is the final ball? The, the goosebumps? The the pitch invasion? The passion? The the, the excitement that there was for the game. Of cricket in Scotland it, it kind of goes under you might have seen it when you were in you know, uni in Edinburgh it, it, it kind of goes under the radar how big cricket in Scotland is is there's a, a big following for it and I think when when we get the top teams there and when we give them good games of cricket and obviously it relies on us playing well then there's such a passion for the game and to, that final moment where Safi got the last wicket and the eruption of noise from the crowd and the way they reacted in the pitch invasion I'd never seen passion for cricket like that in Scotland so that moment there is the moment that I remember that and sitting sitting after the game with the guys who'd won the game but also some ex-teammates um, Fraser Watts for example who who came into the, who when I first came back into the squad as a batter he helped me a lot he's been retired a few years but he was just as just as happy for us and you could tell that we were it was it was just so nice to share that moment with with some some players who'd helped the squad along the way
3: did you ever think that that kind of performance was possible like when you first played for Scotland what over 10 years ago now
1: yeah um i was probably probably slightly different when I was when you're 17 18 when i first made my debut you you think you're going to perform like that and as a fast I, I when i started I think you just think that's what you're going to do because you you don't know any different. You've got the naivety of youth, don't you? Um, I th- I think it might be a little bit harsh in Scotland. Teams of seven, eight years ago, when I came back into the squad as a batter. I I don't think we would have had that belief. Um, maybe even three, four years ago, it would have been, or might have even been, yeah, before years ago, after the 2015 World Cup. Uh, 2016, we didn't have a great year. We lost some games we should have won, um, and I remember uh, Grant Bradburn and Kyle, uh, Grant who was coach at the time, and obviously Kyle's captain, sat us down and just said, "Look, we're, we're losing too many games we should be winning. Um, why are we losing? them, what we're we doing? How are we going to train differently, or how are we going to prepare differently, or what we're we going to do as a group to get away from from always fighting back in games or Getting t- close to winning but not getting over the over the line. So we we made a conscious effort as a squad to to change our mindset a little bit to do, to almost want teams to come and play well so we'd have to play better to beat them instead of hoping for them just not to play that well. Um, I remember that being quite a big change in mindset. So we knew we we're up against an England team or whether it was Sri Lanka a couple of years before or. Zimbabwe the year before, which was our first one against an ODI member, a full member. Um, we we wanted them to come and play well, but we knew that to beat these guys, we we're going to have to play even better. So, was were we confident that we were going to beat them? I I think you'd have to be an eternal optimist to to, to say that you're going to beat them every single time. But we knew that if we played well enough then we could do well enough to compete and hopefully win the big moments when they came.
3: I mean, eight, eight of that England team ended up winning the World Cup one year later. Four of the five bowlers used by England that day, now world champions, and three of them played in the final itself. What was your collective approach as a batting arm going into that game? Because you basically never took your foot off the gas for the whole 50 overs.
1: Um. Well, first of all, it was an absolutely unbelievable achievement for England to go and win the World Cup the way they did and um, what a game of cricket the final was. But I th- as a batting unit, I think I think a lot of credit has to go to the way the opener started. Um, I've said this before, but it's easy for a captain to, to tell you to play and a coach to tell you in a certain way to go and be an aggressive, go and play go and play some carefree cricket. But it takes it takes a different sort of person. I think Morgan's done it well with England in the way they play, but I think Kyle's done it especially well with us in leading from the front and saying, OK, we're going to play this aggressive brand of cricket and this is how we're going to do it. And if you watch some of the shots him and Crossy played up top, they weren't hanging about. They didn't want to be on the back foot. They wanted to be putting the pressure on the England bowlers. And that kind of set the game up. Obviously, we lost two quick wickets when um, Kyle and Crossy got out, and then Barrow and I had that small little partnership just to get his back on. But even like, you don't want to see somebody get out. But even Barrow's dismissal was probably an indication of how we were looking to play. Um, I think in Scotland teams of the past, if I think he got thirty nine, look like at this might it might be harsh in some. Scotland teams have played and if there would have been a time where we would have tried to get fifties there and just put a score on on a score the, the on the scoreboard so we could mm. try and challenge. Whereas we didn't have any thought of that. Um he he tried to plunk it over his head for six and he got out doing it and it just showed the intent that we were willing to play with. Um all the way down to Leese coming in and hitting his first ball for six. Um even though he told me he was going to try and get me back on strike, which, which is quite, which sums Litsky up a little bit, but um, I, I just think the whole way through was set up by the way the openers did and the confidence that we then gained to okay, this is what we said we're going to do, let's go and do it. But it's, it, I, I don't know how much you follow associate cricket or Scottish cricket, but it's it's a way we've tried been trying to play um, because you look at the way the trends of world cricket are going in 250 is no longer an okay score unless it's a World Cup final or it's a, it's a green wicket. You have to be pushing up to trying to be getting 300, 300 plus. And I remember us I sitting down and saying we wanted to be a 350 plus team. Okay, and what would it take to do that? Mm. Which is quite quite a long way out of our comfort zone because it's trying to go somewhere where it's quite high risk to start with, until you get a bit more used to playing at that tempo and that way that you want to play.
3: Mm. I mean, you're you're a big part of that. You you came in at three with 100 already on the board, and everything that everything that day just clicked. Really, I mean, um, I think you'll enjoy this list I'm about to read out. So, only Hashim Amla, Sanath Jayasuriya, Virak Holi, Chris Gale, Sachin Tendulkar, David Warner, and Rohit Sharma have scored more ODI scores of 150 or more than you. And obviously, you didn't quite reach 150 on this occasion. But yeah. what, why do you think you've got such a good record of getting big, big ODI scores? Are, I really are you, don't, I really you don't know. In I that mean, no
1: I don't belong in that list. Um, I, do, um, you know, what I I'm quite stubborn, and somebody, uh, one of my teammates, asked me this the other day, and I don't, I don't have a real specific answer apart from I think when I get in because of the way I bat and it's once I get into a rhythm and into my own game plan then I'm stubborn enough to stick to that and it seems to work um but I also think I also think when you play as much cricket as as I've played now that when when you when you have low scores you know when you actually get in or you get to 20 or 30 and you get that start that actually you want to try and make this as as good as possible yeah so the, if you if you get in you want to be the guy who's responsible to go and, to go and put a match winning score on the on uh on the scorebook um and when it's your day you've got to go and you got to go and try and make it your day i know that sounds a little bit cliched but it's just it's just the way I look at it um and in some ways I'd rather I'd probably rather get out for between nine and ten than get thirty because I think once you've done this, got to thirty, you've done the bulk of your hard work to get in, and that should be a day that you should try and go and cash in. Um, I don't know if everybody sees it like that, or if it's just it's just the way my mindset works, but it's certainly certainly the the only real reasons that I can I can think of.
3: The victory and the and the celebrations afterwards, I guess, was made all the more sweet, given how close you guys were making a 10-team World Cup, not just any World Cup, a 10-team World Cup. You were an incorrect umpiring LBW decision away from qualifying at West Indies' expense. How frustrating is it, knowing that you're good enough to compete against these sides, the top sides in ODI cricket, that the World Cup remained a 10-team tournament, the 50-over World Cup, that is?
1: Yeah, just... But I've been asked this guy, it just baffles me, to be honest. It amazes me that they, on one hand, the ICC have put a lot of money, time and effort and run a quite a good associate programme to the extent that I think if you spoke to most associate cricketers now, they'd probably say the standard's as high as it's ever been. Mm. And, and the ICC have got to take a bit of credit for that. But to them to do that, but then just make it a 10-team World Cup and think they were happy... Just playing qualification games and stuff—it just doesn't—it doesn't add up for me. Um, and I, th- I, th- I think it could have been, it could, there could have been four, five, six teams from that qualification tournament that could have gone into that, that World Cup and played well enough to, to challenge the top teams. And it's the only way the game, the game grows. I mean, I live in an idealistic world where. <laughs> Where we should all be helping each other. I know it's not that simple, but it'd be nice just to. It'd be nice to get into those opportunities to go and play because I think if you look at the way the 2015 World Cup went for us, we probably should have won two games there, but we went away from that and gained experience and and realised some of the mistakes we were making and used that experience to get slightly better. Um, now I'm not for one minute saying that we're going to come in and we were going to win the World Cup but we could have come in and to 14 15 16 team world cup where you still got to qualify and it's still an achievement to qualify but then it's still the top teams who can then go on and and prove that they can play and beat some of the top nations i also i also think it I also think it's the way if you look at the way afghanistan and ireland have jumped ahead of some of the other teams it's been done in the back of some on some very good performances at world cups now, if we don't if we don't have those opportunities, then it narrows it narrows our chance to take that next step to become a full member, which is ultimately what we want to do. We want to we want to see an equal footing where we play more cricket, because I think the team and the game in Scotland would benefit from it. And I, th- I think we've shown in some of the games we've played that we are good enough and we can beat these teams. It doesn't mean we're going to do it every game, but. Just those opportunities to show more would be would be appreciated.
3: After the win, you said, hopefully we can use it as a springboard to kick Scottish cricket on. Hopefully it's a clear message to everyone watching that associate cricket is strong and Scottish cricket is strong. You don't just know how it's going to pan out. We've been crying out for more cricket. And hopefully you always get the sense, that, sense before that teams might add this game on. Now I hope that it can be the catalyst that teams want to come and play us whenever they're over in the UK. We can have more weeks and more series like we do this week. Since that game, we've only played two ODIs against four-member countries. Two rain-affected, very narrow defeats—one against Afghanistan, one against Sri Lanka. Has it been the catalyst that you hoped for two years ago? And if not, can you surprise that it hasn't been?
1: I think that's such a tough question in the current in the current climate. Obviously, this year it's it's been completely unprecedented and nothing we've ever seen. Um, we were due to play New Zealand and Australia, uh, which would have been some marquee games. We had Afghanistan twice last year, but it was rain, The one was rained off. We had Sri Lanka twice. So that would have been four. And then the World Cricket League as well. Um, I, it's tough to... And then potentially the World Cup at the end of the year. So hmm. it's tough to know quite where we're at because of the... The circumstances the world's in at the moment. Um, I think who knows how it would have gone if we'd been able to play Australia and New Zealand this year and continued to do well. Um, I think some of the quote you just read out still run, uh, still reads true, which probably probably means we're not quite where we want to be. But it does. It's not just going to happen over overnight or over one. Over a, over a year or on the back of one performance, it's, it's got to be something um, that we that we build on when we're given those opportunities. I think the Afghanistan game last year was an opportunity missed because I, I feel we could have won it. The Sri Lanka game, we were probably just behind the whole way through, so Sri Lanka probably deserved to win it. Um, mm. But it's again, it's just those opportunities to to go. Hopefully, the World Cup goes ahead and we can we can go into that that qualification group um where we qualify for another qualifier. I think Andy Belburney put it one day, which was which I thought was a brilliant quote. Um and then and then see where it goes there. We've got a tough group and if we can get out that group and make our mark on that, then I think it just continues to build the case for, for Scottish cricket uh, and to prove that we're on the up.
3: Because you have so few opportunities against all member countries, that that pressure to perform in those very few instances is almost unfair in a way. Because it's quite hard for to like capture the public imagination in the way that you did when you beat England, and you only really get a couple of opportunities a year.
1: Yeah, it's. I did, you know what? I've never actually looked at it like that. I've always looked at it, and the. 90% of the games that we play as associate cricketers are in a qualification tournament. We're trying to qualify for something. We're trying to qualify for a World Cup or we're trying to finish the top of the group to get more funding. And we've played in games where if we lost, then we potentially lose ODI status. And if you lose ODI status, you lose your funding, you lose you lose your job effectively. I mean, that's 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 pressure games. Um so I've always looked at it. Okay, if we were given the opportunity to to go and play for members, then with no qualification on the line, or in the extreme circumstance of if no qualification, no funding, if that's not in the line, then it's actually it's actually quite liberating for the mind because you can play a little bit more of the no consequence cricket. Um, I think. I think. I think if you look at any team, you look at the way the World Cup, if we use that as an example, the way in the scores in the World Cup were probably lower than... probably. This is just off the top of my head. My stats might be completely wrong, but I'd imagine that the scores in the World Cup were probably slightly lower than the average scores for ODI cricket in England leading up to that over the the couple of years previous. And it's just just that added pressure of having to play in a tournament and having Mm. to qualify to then... And that's that's what we play all our cricket in. So you can see why when we we don't have that qualification tournament, or we're given the opportunity to go and play almost a not free game. Free game is completely the wrong word, but a, a game where we can we can play w- with relatively low consequences if we lose. Um, then how that would help our mindset and how it would help us to play in the way that we did. Journalist at the Telegraph, Tim
3: Wigmore, said on Twitter yesterday that there should be a four or five nations tournament at the start of each summer with England, Scotland, Ireland, Netherlands and maybe a, a guest. How much of a difference would it make for you and for Scot- for Scottish cricket if a tournament like that existed?
1: I think it would be absolutely outstanding. I, I, I think it would be an absolutely brilliant... <sighs> Brilliant tournament to be involved in. Um, again, England, England are so busy with their two with programs. It would be, and now the Dutch and the Irish are busy. But if we could find a way of fitting it into the, the schedule, and I think I think a guest team's brilliant. Whether that's a team from Europe who are who are lower ranked than us, again, I live in the in my own little ideal world that I, I I think is as, as Scotland we should be. Helping the teams below us as well, um, some of the some of the smaller associate nations, because we can't always just be looking up. I think we've got we've got a duty to help teams uh, below us in the same way that I think the full members probably have a duty to the game of cricket to to keep growing it. Um, and I think a tournament like that would and to have it each year where it would start to mean a little bit more each year. um, I think it'd be great for for cricket and all, certainly in uh, Ireland, Holland, and Scotland. And I think I think it could benefit could benefit the English as well. It, it's more games, and I mean they've lost games against all three of us now, so it'd be it'd be good to to try and take another scalp of them and and make it meaningful. Absolutely. Well, Callum, thanks so much for joining the show. Much appreciated. No, excellent. Thanks for having us.
3: This has been the Wizard Cricket Weekly podcast. If you enjoy the show, please tell your friends and if you're feeling extra nice, why not leave us a 5-star review on the podcast app. Cheers.
2: Network.